Hello and welcome to Lunch with Auntie. Lunch with Auntie is my podcast where I interview successful, brilliant individuals, mainly females, who have really become leaders in their fields and really ask the questions, what do you do and how did you get there? This episode, I have Jacqueline Poe, who was a government scholar and still works for the Singaporean Civil Service and we talk about everything from her life experiences to what they're doing to deal with this pandemic. Usually we go for lunch, but because of the current COVID-19 situation, we are having a Zoom lunch, so stay tuned. Welcome to the podcast. Um, Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Um, And because this is designed for mainly people my age, I think, you know, the first kind of questions I want to ask you about university and how you made the decision to leave Singapore and go to England and from what I know on your LinkedIn, which I did a little bit of checking up on, you went to Cambridge. um, And so how was that transition? How was that move? And how did you make that decision, really? Well, okay. Um, Well, I, I, this was the 1990s, I think. um, And I was quite keen on leaving Singapore for an education Mm -hmm. uh, because I thought there would be a lot more exposure, a lot more to learn uh, by going overseas for an education, uh, just like you, (laughs) actually, Hannah. Um, Then you meet a lot of people you wouldn't otherwise get to meet. Um, I'd also taken a government scholarship uh, at that point. um, And, uh, you know, I knew that I was, my heart, I had a heart for the public service and I I didn't know I wanted to come back and work in public service. Um, So, you know, this was really a good opportunity for me to kind of see the world a little bit before I came back. Uh, also, the university uh, I chose, which was uh, Oxford, actually. I was oh, bo- I went to both Oxford and Cambridge. Okay. Um, Impressive. Yeah, so uh, the course that I was doing was really of interest to me, particularly in the, at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was politics, philosophy, and economics. Yes, um, Which course. I think is still a very popular course. Massively in, in popular. Oxford. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, not many people, not many... Um, other universities actually uh, offered this uh, mm-hmm. combination at the yes. time, um, and not many of them offered it uh, with the kind of tutorial support that came in the Oxbridge system. So I think I don't know how many of your listeners know, but um, in most universities, uh, the classes are very lecture based. So yes. you know, three hundred people come in and and have a lecture with a, a good professor and then after that they sort of follow up uh, maybe in smaller sessions but mm-hmm. those sessions still can be fairly large um, but in Oxford it was um, the, the attraction of having a one-on-one relationship with your tutor so it yeah. is a one-on-one for every subject so if you have okay. eight subjects which you tend to um, <laughs> you have eight one-on-one relationships um, with the with the professor and very often the professor might be somebody who is um, very well known in the field could be a Nobel yeah. Prize winner or oh, wow. somebody who's you know written a lot of really uh, interesting books that nobody's got to the end of <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah and then some of them are sort of public intellectuals as well mm-hmm. so uh, the the depth of uh, conversation that you can have uh, on a one-to-one tutorial system is actually quite different. So even if you do spend no more than one or two hours with that tutor a week, it's uh, 
I think the experience and the amount you learn is very different from spending the same amount of time in a very large lecture hall. There were lectures, of course, uh, but people didn't simply, they, they just weren't as engaging. Yeah, um, no, for sure. As, you know, the tutorial uh, system. So was your heart always set on the, you know, civil service or, you know, public sector in Singapore? Is that always kind of where you were, you wanted to go? Or was that something you found out later on? Uh, I, because I had taken a scholarship and I knew I was coming back to work in the public sector. Yes. Um, I think I knew fairly early on that it was something that appealed to me. But many things appeal yeah. uh, to you over the course of time. And sometimes people are not so sure at the point when they are 18. Uh, what they really want to do. Uh, for these people, I always suggest that they do keep their options open. Mm -hmm. And if they are really, really don't even see themselves in any way a fit for the public sector, um, they should think very hard about taking on a public sector scholarship. Yes. Even if the PSC scholarship is fairly prestigious, it's not mm -hmm. necessarily something that is for everyone if they don't actually intend uh, to be part of the public service uh, for the period, at least for the period of time uh, that the bond entails, which is, I think, eight years right now. Okay. Um, yeah, so so some people do leave at the end of their bond periods, but at least the, they generally do say that um, the, those six years were extremely helpful years to their yeah. own personal growth and um, to help them develop new skills, uh, networks, and an understanding of how the company works and that they had contributed during that time. Mm -hmm. So I do meet people who are scholarship candidates because I, I also offered uh, various uh, sort of digital uh, economy-related scholarships in various jobs I've done. Uh, yes. And I, you know, if I really didn't feel that the person really wanted to do this for yes. another longer term, <laughs> as opposed to just getting the scholarship, I would kind of you know, discourage them from proceeding with the process. Because it's obviously a lot of work and it's a lot of dedication. Um, to be well, honest, I think more than that, it's uh, depriving somebody else of a place. <laughs> yeah, no, that is very true. They do take it. Yeah. yeah. And so you went back to school twice after your bachelor's degree, was it? Um, and you went to INSEAD yeah, and went back to Stanford. school three times. Three times. I went back okay. To three times, yeah. So can you talk about like that transition and what kind of made you go, I want to go back to education? I think that. Um, I'm a big believer in lifelong learning, so mm -hmm. whether or not it's a formal education process or just trying to pick things up, um, I just love to take on sort of new skills, uh, challenge myself. Uh, and I think that for your generation, I think you will be expecting to have at least three careers in your lifetime. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, you know, three, at least three jobs that are maybe adjacent, but uh, um, unique enough to be called a sort of career mm -hmm. uh, and then one of them might not even exist today <laughs> so that's a little uh, bit scary you have to be prepared <laughs> because if you work if you're going to work until you're 70 or 67 uh, by the yeah. time yeah you go <laughs> by the time you're in the, the peak of your career you, you probably end up realizing that it's maybe closer to 70 or beyond um yeah then you, you want to keep sharpening the saw and you want to keep growing uh, throughout that career. So I did a bachelor's in, um, in Oxford. Then I went on to do uh, a master's in Cambridge, which was okay. actually part of the, of the deal with the scholarship. And yes. um, that was in international relations. 
Okay. Um, it was international, a lot of international economic and political economy pieces at that time, mm-hmm. which was the Asian financial crisis. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I went back to school much later. Um, in I think in the year two thousand and eight. Okay. So it was probably a decade, more than a decade, slightly more than a decade later, which is actually a good time to go back to school. Yeah. Uh, because um, it was helpful to um, sort of get updated uh, on skills related to finance at that time, which I wanted to pursue. So I was in the Ministry of Finance and I, you know, felt that I needed a bit of a boost to some yes. of my, you know, uh, actual uh, understanding of financial markets, um, private equity, mm-hmm. uh, VC, um, uh, applied finance and, 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 and financial engineering. So um, at that time I did, well, I just did, did two things. Uh, I actually did a course in the Singapore Management University in Applied Finance. Yes. And then I also, after that, went to INSEAD, uh, where I did an MBA. Um, mm-hmm. And during that time, I went to, the INSEAD had a had an exchange with Wharton. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was, that's quite exciting because that was the financial crisis, of the global yeah. financial crisis. Yeah. Yeah, so that was so interesting. I've an interesting career in, the, in that I've always... Yes, I've always graduated in the midst of financial crisis. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> and I've always entered uh, during a period of great positivity oh. um, and optimism in the global economy. And I've always <laughs> left when things were really, really disastrous. So for my NCAD MBA, um, yeah, all of us sort of went in um, in January of two. two 2008, and um, somewhere in September 2008, I was in Pennsylvania, I was in uh, UPenn, um, in Philadelphia, Uh, Mm -hmm. and I do recall uh, up to now, the moment that Lehman actually collapsed, and my classmates had just been very proud of having done an entire summer internship with Lehman Brothers, and then they had had offers, and then they had no job because the bank collapsed. Oh my, oh, that so must have been just so such a, a period experience. of turmoil. <laughs> yeah, that must have been just an in- insane period. The biggest thing I'm getting out of this, and I always try to like put in these little snippets, is that you're just hungry for learning. And that's something I massively aspire to and think is so fantastic. Like, for everyone listening at home, it's this like, the impression I get is this absolute hunger to just learn more and more and like you earlier mentioned lifelong learning which is just to me absolutely incredible just going back to education um which i find is fantastic um now moving on a little bit like to a little bit later life um how was so you did gov tech right for quite a long period is that right you're in government tech yeah Mm. Um, um, I did. I was actually in uh, the Infocom Development Agency. Okay. Uh, authority at that. It was an authority at that stage, which is now um, IMDA. Okay. Um, um, and GovTech, yeah. Yeah. So, how was your time there? Um, like, you know, you obviously went from finance to technology, which is just a completely <laughs> different sector. Like you said, it's almost a different career. Um, yeah. How was that transition, and you know, was there something that you massively picked up from there? Yeah, I, I would say that that movement out of after INSEAD, the you know the biggest period of skills growth for me was in the technology space. Yes, um, and it was yeah, it was something that I was just blessed to have been 
um, sort of selected to be at that place at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's very hard for you all to imagine right now, but if you kind of joined technology or digital uh, in the year 2013, uh, I mean, frankly, it was still called IT. And yeah, <laughs> yeah it wasn't sexy. I mean, it is now, but if you please cast back when I joined, it really wasn't that sexy. Um, and it was extremely difficult to get uh, young people to do engineering. Oh, really? Uh, and to do computer science, yes. So when I first joined uh, okay. IDA, one of my jobs was to get, of course, more people to take up our Infocom scholarships yes. and, and to build up a, a sort of a new cadre of engineer engineering um, talent for Singapore. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and I thought that would be easy because I thought, because my mind was still locked in the dot-com boom era. But yes. uh, what I found uh, was that there had been a big following out in the sector. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of less interest was paid to um, technology, uh, you know, sort of after the dot-com bust. Um, mm-hmm. And some people got disillusioned, so they didn't want their children to uh, take on jobs in computer science because that's where, you know, actually parents would tell me this, you know, uh, are you, do you want my child to be IT help desk? Like, okay. And I said, no. I'm not asking your child to be IT help desk. So I said, the, the future is digital. And they had it no is. idea what I was talking about. And yeah. they, they said, no, my children need to be doctors and lawyers and bankers. Yeah. But this computer science thing, um, they were, you know, the, the, their impression was that they, there was a lot of uh, competition from outsourced partners yes. uh, in, say, mm-hmm. you know, some other countries that were cheaper. Yes. And so that this would affect the salaries that their children would be able to come up. And then that it would be, you know, a sort of not very prestigious and difficult job. Yeah. Um, it is very different now. I can, I can imagine. <laughs> Maybe as a result of some of the efforts taken during that time, but we tried to make um, technology a bit more um, something that young people want to do. So when I started having these talks, um, I do recall that um, enge- computer engineering, computer science, computer engineering, uh, was uh, sort of the sort of bottom three least popular subject in our tertiary institutions. Okay. Bottom three. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I when think you that's fast just so forward different. after 2019, yeah. uh, computer science is actually number two. Yeah, no, because like, medicine. obviously I'm going, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one, like I just applied to university and all that and computer science and engineering are like way up there. Um, and, yeah. you know, with all my friends here who are applying in November time, doing their A-levels, then that's such a big, what they're going into. Um, so you've obviously seen Singapore change so much. Like I can even tell you when I come back every three months, Singapore is constantly changing, constantly improving. What is, where do you think we're going with it? More on like the tech side. Where do you think Singapore is going to, you know, what's something that we can see in the next five years that you think yeah. tech is going to implement or whatever, what oh, their new name is. I'm now. glad you're excited. I do, inter- do you want to be an engineer? Is that something you're interested in? Um, not massively, like not particularly. I love uh, international relations and politics and history. That's where my <laughs> pas- personal passion lies. Um, but I just, I do love to, even from an economic point of view, kind of envision what the world's going to look like in five years. And I just think Singapore is such a place to do that, you know, um, because you really can see yeah. tangible change. 
like, you know, even when I talk yeah. to my grandmother about what Singapore looked like in her day and my mum when she was growing up and then the Singapore I grew up in, they're worlds apart. Whereas, don't tell my dad, his town in Ireland hasn't changed that much. Um, <laughs> it has its charm. <laughs> yes, um, it's quaint. That has its charm. <laughs> you need that as well. We do try and conserve as much of, um, you know, what is valuable about our heritage and our past. Because yes. there was a period where Singapore also tried to, you know, they we built too fast. And, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't do enough conservation or heritage work enough regard to our own narrative as yes. a nation, narrative as a people, uh, and we're trying to rectify a lot of it there. But in terms of technology, it's a really exciting space. I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we struggled with, <laughs> like I tell, struggled all the way from nobody wants to do this, <laughs> uh, nobody wants to adopt, nobody understands this, <laughs> nobody wants to adopt this. <laughs>
yes. uh, sing pass and my info. So everywhere you go now, it's like it's very a lot of places. Like I went, you know, before the stadiums were closed, I went to rent by myself. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you know, I just did a little QR code scanning, and it was sing pass, and I, all I did was show my face to my phone, and then they then you know they would know immediately that I happened to be there at that time, and I didn't have key and anything yes um so the national digital identity pay now which is the mm-hmm. national payments um digital payment system yeah which is really very simple and free for individuals to use mm-hmm. to pay each other electronically and then also to pay businesses and for businesses to pay each other and also for the government now uh to give out our transfers uh as a result of the three packages the unity resilience and solidarity packages we said, okay, we're going to give certain amounts of relief to individuals. Now, if we didn't have a digital system by which to do that, yes, then it that would be very be different. Very different situation. <laughs> very different conversation we're having. No, and another and, uh, piece of infrastructure we put in place was the student learning space. Yes, so, I was so going to say. Students could, yeah. My sister has been on it. <laughs> my sister has been on it, and um, yeah, we're very lucky that, like, you know, her like she's just online now and it's actually absolutely incredible that like really like I know long-term infrastructure is important but the turnaround was so quick with you know she was suddenly in school as soon as the circuit breaker was implemented and the other thing I was really impressed with Singapore's tech side was the tracing capabilities and all the hard work because I obviously went through this uh the quarantine at home and I was called three times a day by really lovely people who were just so nice all the time and just the ability to trace which I thought was absolutely incredible um, that I just, you know, after having left Singapore, taking some efficiency like that for granted, I s- then went to countries and lived in countries where that efficiency can't be taken for granted and that's a very different system. Um, and I just came back and was absolutely shocked that, you know, after my 14 days, they were like, yeah, you're good. And they were able to trace me, my other friends who were on the plane, um, someone who yeah. got in contact with um, someone else on the plane in a taxi and I just thought that you know what country could do that so that's my own personal like you know hit like you know such a Hail Mary is the tech system in Singapore and their efficiency with that so I suppose so that's thank you to you um (laughs) and all your hard work I can't say that I'm responsible for any of that (laughs) (laughs) but you did play a part um and just I know that you're insanely busy and I this time just can't be very easy for you um but just one more question on a bit of a lighter note. Uh, is there anything that you particularly enjoy to read? We You talk about lifelong yeah. learning and, you know, where do you get your book recommendations and stuff like that? It's really funny, you know, like nobody asked me this question. Uh, oh, but really? I really have a lot to say about it. <laughs> oh, I would, I would love to hear. I I'm such a reader. Reading, um, I feel like I stopped reading 30 years ago and then I picked it up again about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, about a year and a half ago, I started reading again but I didn't read um, so so I didn't read books uh, physically uh, with paper um, I got really hooked onto audiobooks okay. and I think the audiobook revolution is, is amazing and I and the quality of audiobooks these days they're not flat they're you know then they're, they're read by really high quality um, you know entertainment types who have really yes. good voices and can can really carry the story and they have a lot of you know there's a lot of sound effect now <laughs> so it's it's not it's an immersive experience as opposed to somebody reading a book to you yes no definitely. Um, so there's been a lot of progress there so i've read um, i'm proud to say that i think i've read 
about 62 books in the last year. Oh, that's incredible. That's more than one a week. <laughs> that's like, that was... Yeah, so I'm, I'm at like more than one a week. That's yeah. quite incredible. I'm that's the like... one a week. That's my aim. Um, and yeah, no, I, I've massively picked up audiobooks. And so any like number one, what was out of the 62 you read in the last year? Do you have like a favorite that you can, that jumps out in I your have mind? many, many favorites. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I started with a really, okay, so the, the, the texts that are a little more serious and very helpful in terms of business and learning and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, that, like in that genre, there's a really good negotiation book by Chris Voss um, called Never Split the Difference. Okay, uh, yeah. I highly recommend to anyone. Um, that I, lo- I love for like, just, just, just because it's just, just hilarious, uh, Trevor Noah. Uh, did did a really great um, audiobook recording of something called Born a Crime. Yes, uh, oh, I love that. Growing up in South Africa. Have you read yeah. that? I've listened to it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm hooked on the audiobooks too because it's like productivity <laughs> maximization. You can go on a walk and listen to it and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So I'm so, 100% so I'm actually, with you on yeah. that. I walk and I listen and I listen to it in my car and, and that's sort of all the little treats. Little, little free moments. Like there's a lot of like empty space moments in your yes. day when you're in the lift and or in the MRT or in the car, you know. And and actually, audiobooks can can you know help you sort of get more educated at the same time as as um in doing what you're doing. I also like yeah. uh, Yuval Noah Hariri. He's, he did oh, Sapiens. Course. Yes. So and Sapiens was a very really good say- audiobook uh, transition. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, no, that's fantastic. That's like that's probably one of my favorite questions. My dad always asks, like, why do you keep throwing that one in there? But I'm just such a reader, and I just love books, and I just love to hear what like other people are reading, and that's more interest for me. But that's all my questions. So let me just. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on today. Very well done. And that's a wrap for another episode of Lunch with Auntie. I hope you all enjoyed it, and especially if you got to this far in. Thank you so much to Auntie Jacqueline for being on. I absolutely loved our discussions and I hope you guys did too. She is an absolute inspiration for me, as I hope she will be for you. you if you want to find out more about her, go check out my website, Lunch with Auntie. I have left links to the stuff that she's done and articles written about her. She is an absolute legend. That is all from me. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on either Spotify or Apple Music. And thank you so much for listening.